Hi, this is Bob, and today I have an interview with Terigenous. Terigenous is from New York, and they have released Vesper, the Evening Star. This is their first full-length album in almost 10 years. To say it is worth the wait would be a total understatement. This concept album is one you don't want to miss. And here is my interview with Terigenous. Hey Bob, how's it going? Hi. How you doing? I'm doing pretty good. You can hear me all right? I can hear you great. I wanted to thank you for taking time to speak with me today. Fantastic. You are quite welcome. I wanted to ask you about the recording process for the album. How did it go for you? Sure. So, um, well, we uh, we recorded at Westfall Studios, which um, is not too far from us here on Long Island, and um, we we've we, we've done a bunch of projects so far with Westfall. We actually did the first, the first thing we did with them was in 2013. Um, the other guitar player, John and I didn't have, um, we didn't have a full band at the time. Unfortunately, our drummer had left because um, he's a full-time chef and he just kind of couldn't fit everything in. So, um, so we recorded an album with them called Blackstone Opus in 2013. And, uh, and Ray, uh, Ray Marte, who's uh, one of the engineers there actually played drums on that. So that was kind of the beginning of the long relationship we had with the guys Westfall, and they are just awesome. Ray is also the drummer of a band called Moontooth, which you may have heard of. Fantastic, fantastic band. So, yes. um, so yeah, so then uh, in the intervening years, we had a couple lineup changes. We finally got a super solid lineup, and it was a total no-brainer. We knew from long before that we were going to do this record with them, this record with them. I wanted to ask you, uh, as far as the the album was did you have all the tracks together before you entered the studio yeah pretty much pretty much that's one of the reasons we love working with them so uh the other guitar player john and i are pretty um we are pretty meticulous about everything and and, and way too particular uh, we're, we'd be both be the first to admit it so um we had pretty much the entire album written out um a lot of the stuff was demoed out and that ended up being pretty much exactly the same on the record because we did all the pre-production ourselves and then when we went in to record drums with them, uh, everything was done. It didn't didn't mean they didn't have a lot of input, but um, I mean, most of what Ray and Anthony at Westfall did was uh, help us like sculpt the sound that we sort of already had in our head, but would have never been able to do without them. So they were really, really incredible. Uh, I wanted to ask if you could speak on my favorite track, which is Winter Synth. Cool, um, Winter, Winter Synth Road. Just kicks ass from top to bottom. I wanted to ask if you could talk about that one, how it came about conceptually. Awesome, thanks. Well, the whole album is is a concept album. Um, unfortunately, um, we don't have we don't have lyrics in the disc, which I really would have liked, but it's just kind of like logistics prevented us from doing that. Um, I need to I do need to put up a link to the entire album lyrics. I may have one, but I'm not 100 sure. But anyway, um, that's a point in the record where um, that's one of the most action-packed songs in terms of the actual uh, storyline going on. Um, our main character Marcus is pretty much laying a city under siege and um, doing all the terrible things that happen when a city is under siege. And um, so the entire record, the lyrics were written first, so I would have a really good idea of where I wanted to take each song. And each song is just built around what happens. So um, the entire record is also told, um, almost the entire record is told 600 years in the future. Um, it's kind of like this huge sci-fi concept thing that I decided to weave in and out. And, mm -hmm. um, and so this is the kind of like, um, almost like, you know, the siege of Troy or something where this is like, 
this has been in uh, society's consciousness for 600 years. So they're telling you, uh, recall the bitter harvest of what actually happened then so long ago. Um, and so, and musically it just followed, you know, like the, the death metal vocals and stuff that makes sense for that kind of intense sure. thing. And, um, and even like the chorus, which is made to be very kind of like sing songy, something that would have been recited. Um, a strong influence of the whole record is that it was based, I wanted to tell this album as if it had been told as an oral poem for 600 years. Um, so there's a lot of background in that I could really talk about forever, but that's kind of a, Winter Scythe does um, distill a lot of that thematic stuff in one song, because again, it is one of the more action-packed tunes on there. Sure, and another uh, track that really grabbed me was Blood Lane Dance. I wanted to know if you could speak on that one as well. Oh, cool, cool. Yeah, so um, actually, before I move off Winter Scythe, I have to give a lot of credit to Sami Ratakainen. I hope I'm saying it right. He is one of the uh, guitar players of, um, of Necrophagist and um, his own band, Radiance. Excellent dude, awesome player. He was gracious enough to, a, to do a guest solo on Winter Scythe Road, so I wanted to give him a shout out there for that. But, um, but for Bloodletting Dance, um, that song, so I am a really big Mad Max fan, really, really big Mad Max of the whole franchise. And uh, part of the action that happens here is the, the, the antagonist and the protagonist, and it's up to you which one is which, um, Edward and Marcus meet on the battlefield, but their battlefield is essentially um, the desert, uh, the desert east of, um, I'm getting my American geography wrong, which is embarrassing, being an East Coaster. Um, <laughs> we take a lot for granted, but, you know, uh, in, in the sort of, in, in the South, uh, Midwest or West, um, the deserts down there, they're basically meeting to battle in automobiles. The bloodletting dance is how that kind of Mad Max thing is happening. Um, and the entire song is also, again, lyrics were written first, but the entire song is uh, musically has a bunch of variations of nine, eight time. Yes. Um, and this was very deliberate because part of this whole thing, part of the whole record was based on research that had been done in Yugoslavia in the early 1900s about how oral poetry comes to exist. And there, again, I might be butchering this word, but there is a, a dance from the, the former countries that were Yugoslavia. There's a dance from that area called a Q-check, which is generally done in 9-8 time. Um, and it, the breakdown is, uh, what is it? I can't do math. Um, it's, uh, what is it? Three, three, four, and two, I believe. Does that add up to nine? No, I, I definitely, yeah, that, okay. One, two, three, yeah. one, two, three, four, one, two, one, two, three, one, two, three, four, one, two. And that's actually part of what makes Bloodletting Dance a dance. And it's, again, sort of like a dance slash battlefield, really automobiles kind of somehow engaging each other with that feel at the same time. So that that concept was really kind of part and parcel of that whole song. And uh, with that timing, um, vocally, um, a lot of times... Um, the vocalist is really keeping that time, you know, like uh, <clears throat> when you get into time signatures that vary it that much, a lot of times, the sometimes the leading line will come from the vocalist and then everything picks up from there. Well, so being the vocalist and the guitar and one of the guitar players, um, I actually wrote a couple checks that I found it tough to cash when all this album set up. Mm -hmm. Because as I said, I wrote the lyrics first, 
And then when I, and then I wrote the music to it, but I really tried to write them independently. And this is because I'm a huge, huge fan of a lot of bands that um, have guitar players and singers as separate people. So I'm like, oh, well, that's cool. I want to do that, but I still want to play guitar. So Dream Theater, of course, always comes to mind. One of my favorite bands of all time. Sure. Um, but uh, bands like the Finnish band Amorphous, the Brazilian Angra, these are all of my really, really favorite bands that I love so much. Uh, Dark King, a Swedish band. Um, and all of them have different people as the singers and the instrumentalists. So I, I tend to write things, especially on this record. I wrote things independently. Now with Bloodletting Dance, I got into this... I got into this kind of conundrum with the verses where it's like my vocal my vocal rhythm really fought with what was happening on the guitar. So that's actually sure. one of the things that changed the most from pre-production to the record because I sang it one way on pre-production and when I started playing it and singing it, the vocal line sort of moved around a little bit, um, but it still fit in the same amount of time. And uh, it, it didn't really end up going more with the guitar part. It's just something that came a little more naturally to me the way it was. Which for me is actually a good thing because I like when, even though a lot of this is kind of written like cerebrally and then put to the instruments, whether it's on, you know, whether I'm writing it in a guitar program or I'm noodling around and then recording myself, um, it, it's nice to then have a sort of like retread and then let things develop more organically, which is really what happened with the verses for that song. And speaking of that, I wanted to ask you, um, what track was the most challenging to lay down? I would say probably uh, Day Zero because um, there's just so much to it um, and there, there's a lot of movements to it. And I have to say it's probably if I had to pick a personal favorite track, that might be it um, because, now, yeah, it's long and got a lot of a lot of stuff. But for me, when we do that song live, by the time you get to the end, I feel like that is the song that kind of that says, all right we took you through this whole journey and now we're beating you on the head at the end of it because it's a pretty yeah. ending. And, um, but it was, it was difficult. Um, I mean, all the parts are difficult. <laughs> really every song, we got a lot of tough things to lay down, but that was the toughest to lay down and then make it all kind of work together and coherently. Um, we also, um, again, talking of, about the, uh, the clash between Edward and Marcus in day zero, um, Marcus has his own verse. And I'm sorry, Edward has his verse first, and then Marcus has a verse, and then they battle. And I have to actually go between the two voices and the two feels and the two totally different things about them going back and forth. So that was a tough thing in general. Um, vocally, that wasn't too hard because uh, I actually recorded all clean vocals first and then went back and death metal vocals. So I could really kind of focus on one sound at a time. But then again, this is another check that I have to cash live because I have to switch between those vocals live, which is challenging. Sure. That's why, that, that's one of the reasons why I do it. And I wanted to ask you as well, if you could speak on the album artwork and the artist that was involved. Oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Mike Parr, who's, uh, he, we were lucky enough to have him uh, back in 2013 do the uh, record, uh, do the art for Blackstone Opus. Um, I, I had kind of uh, uh, shopped around a bunch of artists in the New York City area. Um, and, the, and, and the great thing about the artists around here is they're willing to sort of recommend each other. So I had this one artist I was working with and it didn't quite work out. And she said, oh, you know what? Um, I got another couple people. So check out these people. And uh, I looked at him immediately and Blackstone Opus is, is about him. Uh, uh, a man sort of um, uh, sculpting a huge piece of stone into something. So I wanted someone who had a really good idea of like scope and structure. 
And when I mm. saw Mike Parr's work, immediately I fell in love with him. I'm like, oh, it, it has to be this guy. Like, I, I just love what he does with kind of space um, and, you know, buildings. And, you know, the song Drawn to an Edge is a lot about that, you know, edges and stuff. So he took that idea and ran with it so well with Blackstone Opus that it was a no-brainer because we also wanted the new, the new stuff to be almost in the same world, almost in the same universe. So if you look at one album cover, you get into the music, like, okay, you look at the next album, you're like, oh, all right, like it's still got the same sort of feel. Like sure. you got a, a really strong fantasy element to his artwork, which I also loved. Sometimes I was wondering, like, are we too dark or heavy for that? But you know, looking back on it, I just love what he does and I love our sound going with what he had done. Um, and so for the new record, I don't think I actually gave him any direction. I just gave him all the lyrics and I gave him the idea that in my head, I thought of so maybe some kind of religious icon. As I said, this is taking place 600 years in the past to mm -hmm. perspective. So I thought maybe some kind of like religious iconography stuff. Um, I think a lot of like Eastern European, since there's so much influence, things, some kind of Eastern European icons, like Christian icons that they have those kind of things. And while he didn't go with that idea so much, he did really pull out the three main characters of the record. Now, I'm looking at it right now. So you have um, Marcus is the dragon, Ajdaha, um, and uh, the diamond starling is Edward, you know, being strangled by, by him here. And in the background, you have a city, but you also have the sort of digital lines coming. And that represents Vesper. Vesper is this sort of AI slash goddess, depending on how you want to interpret it. Um, again, album hopefully is bigger than me, so I hope that it's up to the listener to decide which is which. But um, yeah, I, I get, he once he had a general idea of all the he had all the lyrics, he had an, a general idea of the um, events happening on the record, and then he just ran with it. And his first sketch was pretty close to what we ended up. I think he actually gave me a couple sketch options at first, um, and this was one of I think three layout options that he gave me. And right away, I was like, oh. I bet you can make the gnarliest dragon. That would be perfect. Right. So. I also wanted to ask, what can fans look for next? Will you take to the road? Um, that's what we're looking to do. So we are an unsigned artist right now. And as you may know, that is really tough for an unsigned artist, especially post-COVID. We actually recorded this album before COVID and started mixing it remotely with the great guys at Westfall during the COVID lockdown. So, and it, it, obviously it took forever to release this record after that and, and all the fits and starts with what was going on. Um, I was actually overseas for uh, a couple tours with the band Holy Mother. Um, I played guitar for them for a little while. And uh, one of our tours got shut down after three shows because Omicron popped up. So, You're right. and now I'm sure, you know, like so many venues are closed and it's, and then there's such a backlog of bands that, had to postpone things. Um, we more than anything right now. We want to we want to get out there and play some shows and really push this stuff. We do have a show coming up. Um, our next show is really the official album release show. Even though it's out, this will be the first show we're playing after the album has been released, and that's going to be at Lucky Thirteens in Brooklyn on May fifth. So that is the official album show. We're going to be playing uh, every song that we have a video for and some extra stuff. So um, so really looking forward to uh, making that one a banger. And I also want to ask, uh, as part of that show, will will some or the entirety of that show be streamed? Good question. Um, as of now, we don't have any plans to do that, but that's one of the things I've been looking into. So, yeah, we would like to stream it if at all possible. Um, it just kind of comes down to the infrastructure that we have ourselves. Um, mm. And 
online presence and everything and how we want to push this show. Um, sometimes it can be tougher at, um, it can be tougher just to stream shows at venues because you don't really know. Uh, we love the staff at Lucky 13. And one of the reasons we love doing that, but we don't know how the sound on there is going to translate to a live stream. And, you know, we're, as I said earlier, John, the guitarist and I are really quite anal. So, um, so we, um, if things aren't going to sound perfect, the two of us are just going to, sort of get nervous and sweat about it. So that's one of the difficulties in decision-making processes in Corriginous. We always want to make sure everything is just kind of like up to a diamond standard. And uh, if we're, if it's not going to be, that's something that we have to weigh, you know, which again is no yeah. on the staff at Lucky 13. That's on our end, how we can get that out there. I also wanted to ask uh, if you could give me a band history lesson, how everyone came together. Sure, sure. Um, I'll give you the, the, the slightly shortened version because it's it's pretty complicated as it can be. Um, I originally started Terriginous, um like kind of unofficially 20 years ago when I was a much younger guy, but it was kind of a solo project. Um, I had done, I had been a little unsatisfied in the projects that I had been in. So I just wanted to be able to kind of make music as freely as possible. So I, I made this solo record that was, it was out there. It wasn't super great because I didn't have an editor, but for me, it was just an opportunity to kind of experiment as much as I could in as many different directions. Um, but I did eventually want to start putting a band together. A great friend of mine, he's, he's not involved in the music business, so I'll just call him JM. He's a great guy, one of my closest friends. Um, he was kind of pushing me. He's like, yeah, find a drummer, put together a band, man, do it. And I'm like, uh, kind, of, kind of hemming and hawing. So I finally one day walked into Guitar Center and uh, introduced myself and said, hey, I got this record. I'm looking to put a, put a band together. And, yeah. uh, and the guy listened there and he's, and he, uh, the, this, uh, guy worked there, Mark Dara, fantastic drummer. He wasn't there at the time. One of his colleagues was like, oh, I got to show it to Mark. So as soon as Mark heard it, we started talking. And then as soon as there was me and Mark making music together and, you know, right away we hit the ground running. He like vibed with the stuff I had already written. He had such a, uh, he has such a great feel for not only the really brutal heavy stuff, but making things catchy and then taking it down to, to an ambient level. So once it was Mark and I, then, you know, you have two people and all of a sudden it starts to be a band and then you have some gravity. And then, so, you know, we had kind of members come and go like you do, but things really solidified once, um, once John Vulo joined us, who now is actually a pretty well-known YouTuber for um, all his uh, his dissections of Alan Holdsworth stuff. But uh, when when we started, when we added John to the mix, John and I would like dork out until 4 a.m., I think, on the first rehearsal. Mark had long left and gone home, but John and I are still dorking out over music theory and guitar stuff and everything. So once the two of us came together, then the band really started having momentum, started writing a lot more serious material. Um, then, um, then sadly, as I said, Mark had to quit the band in 2012 because his chef job didn't allow it. We had most of the album Blackstone Opus written. And one of the biggest mistakes I ever made, we went ahead and recorded it. I love the album. Ray, again, from Moontooth, is one of the engineers at Westfall, did such mm -hmm. a fantastic job. And I love the album, but we didn't have a band. We had nothing to show for it live. So yeah, we had this album that we were super proud of, but we were in a real band. So it really took, uh, it took a long time to kind of get the ball rolling and finally get the latest two additions to the band, which are um, Randall Reekston, who is also the drummer for a band called Martyred from New York. Um, I'm really good friends with them. I'm fill, I filled in with them on guitar and vocals. But uh, once we had Randall to the mix, he kind of, he really kind of brought everything that we had lost with Mark, kind of brought it back in his own way, which is fantastic. I mean, we couldn't have been happier with him. Um, and uh, he's also in the death metal band Immortal Suffering. Been around for um, 
and uh, and so we we knew right away as soon as he came in. Oh, like we got all this all the death metal chops, and you hear that on on the new album on songs like um, the Beast and Chains. Like I knew, like I can give him these thirty second notes on bass. He's gonna just totally nail it home. Um, and yeah, sure enough, that's actually the first show we had ever played, the first song we had ever played live because we all thought it was the easiest song. And I'm kind of looking at Randall like this is the easiest song. He's like, dude, forget about it. Like I got no problem. Yeah. So his death metal chops were right there from the beginning. And then finally, um, then finally we added, uh, actually I got a little backwards. Randall came in the band at, shortly after Victoria on bass, but um, Victoria was not a bass player. <laughs> when, when we first started talking to her about maybe doing the band, she said, oh, you guys don't have a bass player? Like I'll play bass. I was like, well, you don't really play bass. She's like, yeah, but like I play violin, viola, cello, piano, and like a hundred other <laughs> instruments. So she was just a super gifted string player from the beginning. And um, I'm like, all right, but you get a five string? Well, she's like, all right, let, let me try out. So I lent her my five string bass. And um, uh, I've never seen someone learn so much complex stuff on a brand new instrument before in my life so quickly. And so uh, once we had her in the band and, and then Randall, it was like kind of all gelled together. And that's been the lineup since. Yeah, I also wanted to say hats off to the drumming on the album because <laughs> there's a lot of complex uh, beats and rhythms involved in the album and it's nailed throughout yeah yeah i mean randall randall is just a monster and while uh john and i and to some extent victoria um even though she's the most legit with a uh, with a music degree john and i just like go on endless kind of dorkiness because that's how we are um we both have like no concept of time so um but despite that no matter what weird dorkiness john and i are talking about or coming up with randall just hears it lays down something awesome uh one of my favorite things that he does a lot um, your, uh, your, your more uh, music theory listeners will totally get this, is he loves to kind of sneak in these metric modulations where, I mean, I wouldn't think to do it. There's a great part in day zero at the end where I forget what, I, what math I had to do to understand what he's doing, but we're doing a three against four. And then all of a sudden he's playing 16th notes against the three against four instead mm -hmm. of 16ths that are proper to the, to the tempo. So I'm like, and like that just kind of came out of me, just felt that. So, I mean, his, his mind is just in this awesome rhythmic world that when when the stuff that we bring to him kind of clashes uh, or collides rather, just some really awesome stuff happens. And uh, actually, I, I wrote a lot of Day Zero based on this little kind of exercise he did at rehearsal. He went, and he kind of made this groove out of it that was really out of time. Um, once he played it before I had my earplugs in, <laughs> I was like, Greg is not deaf. Greg is not deaf, deaf, deaf. Greg is not deaf, deaf. And <laughs> that became uh, a rhythmic motif in all of Day Zero, actually. Um, mm -hmm. Clean guitar in the very beginning that does it, although it's subtle. And then, of course, at, at one point, the whole band, da 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 against 4-4, where we kind of, uh, kind of did a Meshuggah thing with that idea he had. So, um, so yeah, I mean, his, his drumming has just brought it to a level that you know, we're just super excited with. I also wanted to ask if you could speak on your musical development. At what age did you begin your journey? And at what point did you realize that what your ultimate goal was going to be? So um, when I was a little kid, my parents forced me to take piano lessons and I absolutely hated it. And I was a little jerk and the most difficult piano student, I'm sure. Um, but, um, and I didn't continue it for long, but I mean, 
I would never be able to thank them enough because that really laid down my understanding of music. So um, fast forward a couple of years, I started listening to metal and caring about music because when I was a little kid, I really couldn't care less. Then I started playing guitar and I started playing guitar so I could sing along and play guitar with the songs I really loved. I was a huge uh, Megadeth and Metallica, Alice in Chains fan, all that stuff I absolutely loved. So being able to sing and play guitar, I was like, this is awesome. I can do half the stuff myself. The more I played guitar, the more I realized, oh, you know what? Like this solo stuff is actually kind of fun too. And then I started kind of getting into lead guitar. And basically once I, once I felt like I could do something cool, then I decided, oh man, let me see how far I can take this. And pretty much since then, my own personal musical journey has been, can I write stuff that's cool? And can I also stretch my ability as much as possible on like vocally and on the instrument? Um, and this is why I'm kind of disparaging about the first really not official Terriginous record because it was just an experiment to see what all I could do without really much editing at all. Um, and then, you know, we didn't really start making music. I, I kind of glossed over it, but when Mark and John had finally joined the band and we had, we had a couple different bass players, uh, Mike Murray, we did a live record. That's really our first full length album. And, uh, and that's the first thing that I really think of as officially Terriginous, even though we had an EP before that, but the Dream and the Resonance Live was really the first album where I finally grew enough as a musician. Hopefully I've been growing since then, but I finally grew enough to be like, you know what, let's make songs out of this. Let's just not, it, this isn't just an exercise to see what we can do and what's out there. Um, and that experimentation process is still huge, but then, you know, you grow up a little bit and decide, oh, I need an editor. Maybe the editor can be me. Maybe it's the other people in the band. See how we bounce ideas off of each other. And once you, once I could accept that editing process, I feel like it really brought Terriginous to a whole other level. And along your journey, what do you feel has been the best advice that has been given to you along the way? Uh, you know, it's funny. So I was telling a really good friend of mine, um, Mike from the from that same band, Martyr, Mike Stiliano from, from that band, Martyr, who I fill in sometimes. I was just kind of recounting as, as we we're gearing up for the release for Vesper. I was like, yeah, you know, the biggest mistake of my life was releasing Blackstone Opus without actually having a band. And he was like, you know what? Like, yeah, I see what you're saying, but like you had to do it. You had to release it. You had to get it out there. So um, like you just got to press forward and you know, with the COVID thing, like, yeah, I mean, obviously COVID was such a huge setback in so many ways, but of course in our music careers and everything, but, um, and I don't really regret waiting, even though we've been sitting on this nearly complete album for a while. Um, but yeah, the best advice was sometimes, I mean, pay attention to what you're doing and, but you got to push forward. You can't just let the difficult decisions just stop you because it's so easy to be overwhelmed by, how do I release this? Do I have the right material? Um, could we promote it in this way? I just get overwhelmed and end up not doing anything. So that's probably mm -hmm. the best piece of advice. It's like, once you have a goal, just work toward it. You're gonna make mistakes, but you know, like hack through them, learn from them and move on. No mistake that you make is gonna be fatal. And as an independent, I wanted to ask you, um, your vision of the future of the industry um, you know, it's the industry is it's changed so much since when I was a kid listening to the stuff that I idolized and wanted to be like, um, obviously, the Internet blew up everything way back in the day, really before I was playing much in a band. It was, oh, you know, you get a record deal, you get signed, whatever. And that, that that's not a reality anymore for most people. You know, I mean, the dynamics of being a signed band now are 
everyone in your band is 17 years old and you write a three minute song that happens to be super radio friendly and everyone looks right and this, that, and the other, that's, that's just ridiculous. And from my standpoint, as a musician and the kind of things we want to do, listen, we're making nine and a half minute prog metal songs and I'm death metal growling through half of them. So this is not the same demographic that sure. most record labels are looking for unless you're an established band. And, um, and there are still plenty of, you know, established bands that are on record labels that I absolutely love. But, um, you know, the, the record label deal itself is really a thing of the past until you don't need them. That's when, that's when they want you, right? Once, once you don't need a record label in the first place. Sure. Um, but, you know, there are so many great independent musicians out there. And there are even bands that have gotten rid of their record labels or kind of gotten a new deal with their own record labels. Not like, not like before. Um, it's possible for anyone on earth to listen to Terriginous right now, which is the coolest thing that I can say about the whole thing. And that I'm... I think I have, I prefer the freedom of the music industry. Let everyone kind of rise or fall. There are still some, there's still some gatekeeping out there, but not like before. So I think I prefer this, this like total freedom. Granted, everyone gets your music for free, essentially. That's a little tough. That's a tough pill to swallow because in some sense you want to, you know, I want to reward my favorite band. I still buy CDs if I love the band. I then put it right on my phone. So I have the MP3, but you know, I got this thing. I gave, money at least directly to them as i could and maybe i'm i happen to be wearing a dark cane t-shirt right now um so you can still support those bands so um so yeah i mean it's complicated i'm sorry if my answer is sort of incoherent it's just there it's it's such a wide-ranging thing and it's it changes every year too it's not even the same landscape when we released blackstone opus 10 years ago you know we didn't have the same tools that we have now and sure I could sit here regretting it or say, hey, you know, if you like Vesper the Evening Star, go back and check out Blackstone Opus. It's there too. Um, also, quick shout out, we also did an EP after that, an acoustic EP that the excellent Mike Parr did artwork for as well. So that EP is called Among the Stone. So, um, so yeah. Being an older guy, the, the thing I dislike most about the industry today is that um, people's attention spans that are minimal at best. And, you know, I like to listen to an album in its entirety. I don't want, I have no interest in making a playlist because I feel that you worked as hard on the second track on the album as you did on the ninth. And um, I want to hear it in its entirety. And I feel a lot of people are missing out on, concepts and the development of bands and the progression of bands because they're listening to a couple songs off an album and then well i'm on to the next thing yeah exactly exactly and and, and you know the algorithms like kind of kind of throwing a song at you and this is one of the reasons why personally i've sort of um i don't really use much streaming because like i said when i love a band and i might use that to discover a band or i might read articles Recently, I read about uh, Soen, which is the uh, former drummer mm -hmm. of Opeth. Uh, yeah, yeah. The band that he landed with. I somehow missed that whole thing. So I'm like, oh, wow, I, I missed the bandwagon on that band. Now I got to catch up. So, you know, I've, I've got CDs on order from them that I'm going to check out. Um, so it, it's definitely a blessing and a curse because, like I said before, anyone on Earth can hear Terrigenous right now. It, I'm sure anyone right on the whole planet. Then again, they're going to get bombarded with a hundred other, a million other bands playing a billion other songs, right? But mm -hmm. 
Um, I feel a little bit lucky, or I don't know if lucky is the right word, but in the kind of progressive, progressive metal genre, you do kind of have a little more of, uh, it's kind of expected of the listener that they're going to give a little more. So I feel like for us when, and, and this has been our experience, if we get someone listening to our music and is into it, like we progressive bands get their hooks in you, right? I mean, I started listening to King Crimson and I had to go from the first album to the end because it's like, I need to know everything they're doing. And that's kind right. of the nature of the progressive fan. Um, so in that way, it's sort of like a, a kind of boost to us where if we can cut through the noise and get your attention, then you're really going to like us. And again, not saying that necessarily about Terrizinus, although I hope it's true, but really about any progressive band because you already know, again, uh, I'm such a huge Opeth fan. Once I started listening to Opeth, like I'm not only going to listen to one track. I need to hear yeah. all, all six, ten-minute songs to kind of know what's going on. So, and it, it's it's a very different approach than say if you're you know playing something poppier or or you know just something in general more uh, more accessible. And uh, speaking of King Crimson, uh, Robert Fripp, wow, that that guy's uh, time signatures are just was uh, outer otherworldly you know and the way he was able to uh to play the guitar is absolutely fantastic yeah i mean yep. even hearing the stuff he did with peter gabriel is just like wow I, I have not checked out the peter gabriel stuff yet that is that is on my long list to check out what he had done with him but uh yeah i mean uh king crimson and fripp are a huge influence we actually covered um we covered uh, a couple different times, um, frame by frame. So um, mm. that, that's probably my favorite era, the interlocking guitar discipline era. Um, but uh, we actually, we covered that. Um, we've played it live a bunch of times and we actually do have, I think we have a YouTube video of us playing it when we opened for Amorphous a number of years ago. Um, and that was a great show because that was uh, the first show, first big show with the current lineup. So that was a blast. And I love Amorphous. We played on the last show of their Under the Red Cloud uh, U.S. tour leg. But um, but we also did an acoustic version of it during the pandemic. You know, in a lot of bands were doing this kind of like remote thing. You know, mm. we actually played the song remote. Uh, this one, of course, we had to do to a click because um, the contingencies of uh, or the vagaries of recording online, you know, you, you have that slight time delay. Um, but yeah, so John and I just did a, an acoustic guitar cover, which you can check out on our YouTube page. So... And I wanted to also ask you, what is the best way to get merchandise and a physical copy from the band? Oh, I'm glad you asked. Uh, the best way right now is Bandcamp, or if you're in the New York area and you see us live, it's a little cheaper if you see us live because we don't have to send it to you. So um, sure. Um, so yeah, if you're in the in the New York City area, our next show is May fifth at the um, at Lucky Thirteen in Brooklyn. Um, awesome venue. Um, uh, really, uh, actually, our, our drummer knows him especially well because uh, they do a lot of really sick death metal shows there. So um, that's the best way. Um, if you're not seeing us in person, then Bandcamp is right now, I think, the only way to get a physical copy. Um, yeah, that, that should be that should be the only way. Um, we are on just about every streaming thing. Um, if anyone wants to listen to New Fashion Way, we are more, more than happy. We have a little sort of snafu right now with YouTube music where our old catalog is on our artist page. And if you want to hear the newer stuff, you have to go through the Terriginous official page. That's okay. the artist page we have to link up. And there's been, 
you know, I've navigated most of this technology stuff pretty well, but YouTube is still a little beyond me understanding how it works because I know it used to be Google Play Music and then they married it with YouTube. Our YouTube right. channel, because of um, our instructional videos and really John's excellent work picking apart Alan Holdsworth, our YouTube channel has about 12,000 subscribers right now. So we didn't want to have YouTube music running the show for us on YouTube where our own channel has a decent following. So that's why there's a little bit of a discrepancy there. But I mean, you can find us on Spotify, Pandora, Deezer, Amazon Music, which is really weird, but that's totally cool. Um, they have kind of weird rules if you're a Prime member, but that's awesome mm -hmm. they have us on there. And uh, yeah, pretty much any streaming service. The only thing that we are not using, I don't want to get political, but I'm staying 100% away from TikTok because I don't know what the fuck's going on there. So right. staying out of that. So <laughs> as far as I know, we're not on TikTok. And lastly, I wanted to ask you, if you could give a message to your fans, what would that message be? Uh, just thank you for sticking with us. It's it, For us, it's been like a real kind of up and down road with lineup changes and stuff. And um and I mean, our fans, thanks for sticking with the nine minute songs um, and uh, and even and to new fans, thanks for taking the time to check it out. We know there's so much music out there. There's so much awesome music out there. I'm totally not one of these guys like, oh, you know, it's not like before. No, there are there are millions of great musicians and great bands. And uh, we're honored that our fans check us out and consider us one of the bands worth listening to. And Thank you so much to everyone who takes that time out and checks out Terrigenous. Well, I wanted to thank you because you create a fan in me. When I heard this album, I wanted to speak to you right away because uh, this album uh, grabbed me right off the rip the first time through it. And uh, it's been an absolute pleasure to speak with you about the album itself. Excellent. Thank you so much, Bob. Thank you so much. I'm, I'm really glad you dig it. Well, thank you for taking time to speak with me, and I hope we can talk again real soon. Please feel free to update me at any time. Awesome. I will do that. Absolutely. All right. You have a great rest of your night, my friend. You too, Bob. Take care. Cheers. I'd like to thank you for listening to today's podcast. You can sponsor the podcast. Just click that button and you can be a member of the family. And remember... Come see me for a fix.